Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Hey dreamers, special episode of the Nat and Sarah show because today we are all dressed up and nowhere to go. We had well, somewhere to go. Just kidding. We had somewhere to go. So check out our YouTube channel if you want to see how we look business attire. We might just go look ourselves because we can't believe it. <laughs> because I am so grateful that we got to do an IMD business school. It was like here we are in Lausanne on the most beautiful campus overlooking Lake Geneva. And we got to really immerse ourselves in leadership for... High-level executives. Senior executives. Senior executives. It's one of the world's leading business schools for senior executive programs. There were executives from 18 countries and from all walks of life, different companies from fragrances to Nestle to all sorts of things. And we were very lucky to be invited to the opening session uh, because I'm fortunate enough to go back in a week. It's a 10-day program for them. And I go back in a week and do a special guest appearance uh, talking about my Olympic journey. So we are invited this morning. And I thought, let's go, Sarah. So we And it was so up. good. You know, the best thing ever is to be what they call low-hanging fruit, which is stand under the beautiful, voluptuous tree of Natalie's opportunities, and when the fruit falls, you catch them. You and call that, me voluptuous? Yeah, you're the awesome. voluptuous. Like, in at the moment in Europe, the um, magnolia trees are sprouting. They're so beautiful, and they're in bloom. And... They only are in bloom for two weeks. So even if your voluptuous bloom is only two weeks, Cook, I'm under there catching <laughs> it. Because being able to go there today, I felt so grateful. I looked to Nat and I said, how can I come every day? So that's my next manifestation. However. Yeah, it's a $25,000 program, so you so can go every day. I did get dressed up, but if you're watching on YouTube, I, I got to take some of it off. Because let's be honest, it's freaking hot. Freaking hot. So, Sarah. Yes. We thought we'd do an impromptu one. It wasn't even on the manifesto about the business school because we had such a great time. Mm -hmm. So let's chat about some of the things 
the, the concepts that were introduced this morning mm-hmm. to start this program. So the thing you'll probably realize about Nat and I is when something astounds us, mind blown, you know, when we're mind blown, we want to share it with all of you because, you know, what a shame to just keep it for ourselves. So the very first thing that he did, um, the professor, PhD, was he got out a game. And I was like, loving you already. Just saying. So Before he said his name. It was, yeah, it's true. He didn't say game. his name for the first hour. And it was all about let's play a game. And it was a puzzle. So it was like even better. And it was called, um, well, this is what I wrote down, that it was called the Puzzle Assumption Game. And it was awesome to witness other people. So much easier than when you're in it yourself. <laughs> but it was really um, identifying implicit assumptions that we make so what were some of the assumptions that do you remember what people were making well of course with the puzzle the first thing most people do in a traditional puzzle where they made the assumption that all pieces had to be turned up the same way so everyone and they feel so excited for making a contribution of turning the puzzle up so it was all black right because the bottom looked like it was the back of the puzzle and so that was the first assumption the second assumption was that a puzzle is traditionally rectangle and two-dimensional. So all of these go through your head. They were told it was a 22-piece puzzle. And you think, oh, 22 pieces, that's pretty easy. Our three-year-old Jordan does a 50-piece puzzle. So that can't be too hard. And you had 10 minutes to do this puzzle. So everyone's assuming that it's going to be really easy. And then he added the competitive nature in. So we're watching this unfold between the 21 executives and the assumptions they were making. And Nobody finished the puzzle. And they, like Nat said, high senior executives um, were not able to do it. And, and what really came out of this was this idea of implicit assumptions that we head into a problem and we want to solve it straight away. And one of the things that was really interesting about wanting to solve it is when they brought up this idea that when you have a mini success, so some people were fitting some pieces together. And so oftentimes when there's a mini success, you then continue on the same track. You're like total laser focused that this must be the way my assumptions are even more correct now because I'm having many successes and it's even harder to let them go and to try another tact when you're having many successes. And so, yeah, you could just not only see it happening for other people, but observing it in myself and in my business. And when I'm operating with my team, if I have a mini success and I'm even more attached to the way I'm doing it. So, you know, straight away, what I love about games is that you're immersed in them and the debrief allows you so quickly to be able to identify where is this true in my life? And that's what I loved about it. So do you want to talk about any of the other realities that came out? Well, sometimes too, we, like Sarah said, on the mini success, we follow something, we just try harder, Mm. right? So it's got even so much so that they try and break the pieces into the mold. It has to be this way. And they bang them and smash them and they start to break the puzzle, right? And where does this happen in our lives? And where does this happen in our businesses? And ultimately in our dream creation, our dream manifestation, where We're so close sometimes and we just like, it's like when you're at the Olympic Games as a spectator and there's a fence, right? And you want to get in the fence and you think, I just got to get there. And you try and either want to climb the fence or or crash through the fence, but you actually have to go 10 kilometers around the long way and people don't want to do that, 
right? So they think they're so close and they keep push, 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 push. And ultimately, you actually have to go a different way. It might take you a little bit longer. It might look a lot different. But they're some of the things that I got out of the puzzle that actually, you know, sometimes we have to have some patience. We have to have some reflection. We have to sit back and strategize a bit more. And how do we engage the whole team members to get a better outcome with the puzzle? And I never got that to like in the course, but right now when Nat was speaking, I got that the ability to have emotional flexibility, you know, to know, to be able to say, I'm this close to the action, the fence is there, but the emotional flexibility to go around, you know, because I instantly thought of times where I get so drawn into that it has to be this way. And then when it's not, I sit there and sulk because I'm upset. So the emotional flexibility to say that didn't work, what else could work? And so, um, yeah, that emotional flexibility didn't really come out in the debrief today, but I also love this one. Okay, this is hilarious. When you start a task, so the, the puzzle comes out and everyone's like collaborative and they're, you know, they're senior executives, so they're all engaged and everybody participated until it started to not work. And the idea was like, hey, this isn't working. So the, the whole idea is like, oh, these people are clueless. Let me figure this out on my own. And it's interesting. That was really interesting, actually, is like how we begin with this idea of team and collaboration. But the minute things stop working, we tend to go into our little silos, like our own individual way of doing things in order to kind of smash the pieces in ourselves. So I thought that was really interesting. Or we break into sub-teams. So then as individuals, we start to collect people that might want to do it the same way we were doing it, right? And none of them talk to each other. So this was a fascinating thing, um, and Sarah's done a lot of work with games, and there's a saying that says, as we play, we are, mm. right? As we do one thing is the way we do everything, which is why games are so great, because you get to see the full personality come out. Okay, we have to mention this one, because this is critical, is that he mentioned that there are no pieces that you need from another team in order to complete your puzzle. That's all he said. However, when he mentioned that two teams are really starting to figure it out, not one person went and looked at what other people were doing, which is sort of like this idea that, you know, there's assumptions in there. Some people said, hey, I feel like if I look at them, it's cheating. So there's like these, these inner conclusions that we make that limit us from this potential, like, you know, when you have a business, it's like, do you not want to look at the competition? Are you so busy competing with them that you don't even realize that they might have an idea that can help you? And so I, I felt that that was really, um, that applied, hmm. definitely. So that was a great way to start the program. Mm -hmm. And then uh, very early on, some people talked about being solution orientated. And I'm guilty of that. Um, I very quickly want to go into tasks, to-do lists solutions, how to fix things in every area of my life. That's something uh, that I do. And the professor talked about being able to step back, take some time, and actually instead of being solution-orientated, be a problem definer. How do we define the problem with more clarity so that we can actually apply the most appropriate, efficient solution? And when I did my NLP training, we talked a lot about that, is a problem well-defined is a problem about to be solved. 
because if you can't define it, I mean, you can't even, if you can't put parameters on something, like, like I always visualize like a circle or like a ball, if you can't put parameters around it and actually define it, then you cannot solve it actually. So, so you're sort of running in the dark. And so I really liked this idea of problem definer and there are going to go into deeper um, methodology on how to do that. Yeah. So in the context of chasing our dreams and bringing our dreams to life, you know, what are some of the challenges or some of the problems you're facing to have that manifestation come true, right? So define the problem more clearly. Often, and this is the same in sport, uh, people want to practice and train the thing they're good at because it makes us feel better. So, um, however, the great players and the professionals look to the weaknesses because you can only be as strong as your weakest link. So if you can define your weakness and in your dream scenario, define your obstacles or challenges or problems with more clarity, like Sarah said, you are closer to breaking through them, jumping over them, running around them. You're closer to finding a solution that's going to be more effective. So defining the problem with clarity. In my world right now, we're working with retired athletes and we really don't have enough data or research on what the problem is for the retired athlete. So we are doing studies. We're, we're gathering information. Whereas half of my brain wants to just jump in and provide all these solutions and solve it. First of all, we have to define the problem with more clarity. And one of the ways... Which is frustrating because I want to get in there as an action-oriented person and do it. But I think it's well, really important. One of the first steps to defining the problem more accurately is to um, start to nut out what the assumptions are. So here's some things to think about in terms of maybe the work that you currently do. Um, if you have a business, this will really apply. But, you know, even if you're part of a management team, you really want to look at what are your assumptions around success? What do you assume success looks like? And you want to write those down. What are your assumptions around motivation? What are your assumptions around leadership? And for some of you, this one might not apply as much, but still have a go at it. What are your assumptions around change management? So as you begin to look at your own assumptions, this is like the kind of the, the fruit for beginning to problem define. Because if you can start to look beyond some of the assumptions that you make, real change can occur. So it's really powerful. Um, for example, one of the assumptions uh, around leadership can be um, leading is by example. So the, the distinction that the professor made was, well, you're always leading by example. So the question is, is it the example that you want to set? So this whole idea that whether you do something or whether you do nothing, you're still leading. So I thought that was really, really great um, to notice that you're always in the spotlight. So if you think that this is something you want to ignore for a little bit, I mean, it's happening. It's just whether you're deliberate about it or not. Meaning, are you out in front of it? Are you representing what you want to represent? Or are you kind of hoping that people aren't going to notice? So that goes back to controlling the narrative. Right, So we talk about writing your own story in the three-step process of the dream creation and the dream, bringing the dream to life and writing your own story. So this is, a, you're writing your own leadership story of how you want to get out in front of it and how you want to act as if and how you want to lead by example and what that's going to look like. 
So, you know, of course, leadership, the minute you start to look at some of these assumptions around leadership, should we share some of ours? We could just, I'll share a couple. So, you know, some of the, do we do this together? This, no, you had your own, right? Yeah, I had our own list, but it so, was close. So one of, some of the things that I wrote, Nat, you'll remember, some of my assumptions around leadership is that um, leaders need to know all the answers. Um, leaders have to go first. Leaders have to be confident all the time. Yeah. They have to have it all together. Everyone follows. You have to be collaborative. Um, you know, you have to be some. You have to say something profound and unique. You have to have an inspirational vision. You don't want to look weak in front of other people. Um, you know, you, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't be challenged or opposed. Mm. Now, these are not right. These are just assumptions that me and Nat were making around this idea of leadership. So, I really encourage you to go. And think about what it is for you. So even if you're not feeling like a leader, what are your assumptions about maybe the person that you are putting in a leadership role? Maybe your boss. So what are some of those assumptions? And um, I think once you start doing this process, the, the question was like naturally arising. Okay, so what do you do to actually engage people? Like in terms of leadership, you know, if you have, if you're a leader and it's not all those things, then what is it? So do you remember, Nat, about vision? Now she's testing me. This is good. So it I am holding my notes for her so that oh, I, uh, I have like awesome notes though. Like, she writes, she takes a pencil wait. case with all the colors and you have to go to YouTube. Go to, to YouTube see, to see. Type in the Nat and Sarah show and you'll see Sarah's awesome notes. On YouTube. I have them too, but not as colorful. Wait, wait, wait for it. Look at this table. This is a good table. The duo. Oh, this is a really good one. Okay, won't tell them yet. Okay, go. Vision. Yeah, so instead of sort of putting a vision on somebody else, it's creating the picture and helping people see how they fit in the vision. If you want um, long-term engaged, even customers or staff or partners or people you work with, it's how you can paint a picture of how they fit into the vision. Mm. So yeah. I hope that's what you wrote down because that's from my photographic memory. Yeah, like what really hit home and I, you know, of course I highlighted that one because this whole idea that change doesn't happen because we show someone a goal or a graph or tell them. It's really because we see that we are part of that created future. And so that's exactly what you said. So well done. Um, and the I vision is that a created future, hmm. your n narrative on that future and how you live into it, which is why we call this bringing your dreams to life. But people have their own space in that future. See, that's the thing. Like Nat and I can create a vision for how we look in that picture, but ultimately it's about knowing what your purpose is to see how you engage in that future. So you, you paint, I think that when you create a vision, you paint options, you, you paint different places and roles for people because not everybody should or will have the same um, desire within that. And there's many ways to get there, but you brought up another word, which mm -hmm. came up a lot in the start, in the start of this program mm -hmm. was purpose and the purpose of what, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and your internal and external drivers of motivation all wrap into that. So if we talk about purpose, why you want what you want, why you're doing what you want, mm. because this 
drives the internal intrinsic motivation. Yeah, and that was a big, I guess the big focus was really looking at these two motivators, the intrinsic, so from within, and the extrinsic, which is like from without, you know, the, the external factors. So in a business model, a lot of times the, the model is set up to really focus on the extrinsic. Am I saying that right? Yeah, extrinsic. Sounds funny. So extrinsic motivators, which is to reward prizes, um, money, raises, salaries, cars, cars, all these external motivators. However, people only ever change because their intrinsic motivator is being moved. And the challenge is that most leaders don't know what those are. So, so one of the, the tricks, or one, it's not a trick, I mean, one of the ways to really engage with your people is to feed the intrinsic motivator. And so, you know, even as a parent, uh, Nat and I were talking about that, and I said, whoa, man, you could get really dicey really quick with a, so, three-and-a-half-year-old. So how do you promote behavior, you know, certain behaviors like getting dressed in the morning. Gosh, if you're like promising ice creams for putting on your socks, like this is like literally developing an extrinsically motivated child. And it's like you can feed that every single day. So, I mean, I, I remember, oh my gosh, she's potty training. Let's get out the star chart. Then you can put stars. And it's like a reward system for having pee come out of your body. Like, oh my gosh, and if you do a poo, like, wow, you really... Two stickers! Two stickers! You know, like, it's so easy to um, do extrinsic. However, Nat's like, well, what are we supposed to do then? And I think we do some of it, but, you know, really identifying it and becoming inspired by this idea that, like, okay, so if we want to feed the intrinsic, we have to know what it is. What is it that actually makes her tick? What is it that she wants to do? And so this is really interesting because it can bring up lots of assumptions. Like one of mine is, ooh, if you always feed the intrinsic in what she wants, she's got to be real spoiled, you know? And so there's all these like premises that we, we live upon. And I've totally gone into parenting just yeah. for a second because as you do one thing is as you do everything. And wh- why not? Why not take Harvard Business School, IMD Business School learnings and apply them to parenting. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and some of the intrinsic motivators that we talked about were learning, training, feeling like you're growing as a person. Personal development is something that people really want. They want to feel like they're growing as a person. So the the theme of the course is actually called Do What Matters. What matters to you as a human being and doing those things more often, right? So the book that they recommended to read before the training started was How to Measure Your Life. How Will I Measure My Life. How Will I Measure My Life by Clayton Christensen. And there were three primary questions asked in that book um, that, that we discussed today. How can I be sure I'll be happy in my career? How can I be sure that my relationship with my spouse, so this is really and, important, and family, and family relate, relational issues are not only surviving, right, which most people do, but are an enduring source of happiness. 
So your career, you're happy in your career, you're happy in your relationship. And then the third one was a little bit weird, but it's uh, how we can be sure we stay out of jail, which actually translates to how do we live an integrous life. And the reason why he framed it, how can I be sure that I will stay out of jail, is because he went to graduate school with the CEO of Enron, who ended up in literally jail. in jail. And and this, I, I want to talk about step three, because it didn't seem to apply, but this this is like so vital. He said, we get off the path with tiny steps. I don't think anybody, you know, sets out to say, hey, I want to do something so offline like the fraud on def- my customers yeah i really want to screw from- everybody over um generally it's one step off the path that leads to the next step off the path and there's a time where you don't even know there's a path anymore and it becomes easier to take the next step and there's like a momentum to that and what i love about that is it lets none of us off the hook it allows us to all do a personal integrity check all the time. It's so easy to, when you're doing your taxes, ooh, let me write something over here, or let me do a little something. You know, that's a tiny step. And this is not the tiny step for mankind, you know, to space, not that one. I mean, tiny steps um, can really lead you off course to what you initially intended. So, I, you know, what's... Well, well, and clearly we take tiny steps off the path. It's not like you're 100% perfect, but it means that you check yourself and you get back on the path so that the tiny steps don't continue to take you away mm-hmm. to where there is no path anymore. Um, so don't tell them this graph will just show it so it makes them have to go to the YouTube channel. Ready? That's with Sarah's perfect notes. It talks about self going to others going to your organization and then into society. Why are you telling them? I well, because them. That, that was the, that's the gist, but that's okay. okay. Because, because one of the thing with this about do what matters is like asking yourself a question like, what motivates me today versus what motivated me 10 years ago? And I remember so specifically looking at this question at the near the end of my volleyball career and how I was when I started. And the things... Like, I think that I started my sports career to prove something, to prove that girls were strong, to prove that I was good enough, to prove that I could do anything, like all these provings. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wake up 10 years later and the notion of proving wasn't there anymore. And it was like, well, geez, I don't actually know how to operate here. I don't know how to do this. If I don't have the thing that was always driving me, then what do I have? And sometimes that, to me, it, it made it empty. It made it seem like work. So to me, this is when, you know, passion drops out of it. And and you sort of start to be on this wheel that you forgot how you got on it, you know. And so I loved that we looked at that today. Yeah, because if you take away an identity that, like, I had as an identity as a professional athlete for 20 years, and all of a sudden it's like, well, what am I? Mm. Right? So building a new identity, creating something that I'm passionate about, and they also, we talked about so much today. It was a four and a half hour session and we talked about a sweet spot in your purpose and how you can find something that you're great at, something that you love, something that the world needs. And then the fourth part, Sarah, something, oh, that you get paid for. And the sweet spot is in the middle of all of those things. And ironically, mm. Professor talked about my new favorite passion of skiing, right? And I love it. I'm getting great at it. The world potentially doesn't need it, but I don't get paid for it. So it's kind of not a sweet spot. It's a fun spot. 
Um, but I will continue to ski until the season is over and I've found my new passion. The mountains are cool. I thought you were going to be dirty there and say something funny. That, no, that's a different spot. <laughs> so, sorry. So, there are so many things that that we talked about today. It's just the beginning. So much so that Sarah was trying to invite herself back for the next 10 days. Um, she loved Well, it so you much. know, if we use our three-step process of manifestation, I just have to do those steps really quick because there's another class tomorrow morning. And so, you know, Nat's laying some beautiful groundwork because that's her role in my life. And um, she can show up and walk in, act as if she created the narrative, act as if you walk in. What's he going to do? Kick you out? Yeah, and I just need to plan to plan it, map it, map it out. Ten days mapped. Yeah, Grandma and Granddad are here to look after you. You should see how good the lunch was as well. Oh my best ever buffet! Actually, my salad was so good. We're coming to the end. So speaking oh. of buffet and lunch, they actually opened the the whole ten days with a wellness oh yeah test, that's good. right? Because it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter how good of an executive you are, if you don't spend time with your family, it all, your happiness in life is about your health. Well, it's dependent upon, because, okay, I know we're ending, but we need to tell them about the tape measure. What happened to my health story? No, because I'm, we're going to talk about your health as part okay. of it. Okay, okay, okay come go. on. Go. I got, I got a reason. So, out comes those tape measures, you know, from Ikea. And one meter, one meter, okay. So 100, think of the word 100 and ask people. So what's your kind of vision or what's your belief or what do you think will be the age that you live until? Right. So well, it used to be 80. My grandfather got an OBE over bloody 80 and now it's kind of 90s, the new 80. So let's take 90. Okay. So let's say you say 90. Um, you then take that. So you take your 100 and you cut off 10 years because that makes 90. So now you have your, sorry, 10 centimeters, and you have your measuring tape. Beautiful. Now, if you're under 25, this is not going to be as impactful. So, you know, just shut the show off now. So here's the thing. But if you're like 40s, like us, this is amazing. So, okay, so you got your 90. And then the next thing you do is you cut, you ask yourself, how long do you, no, you've done that. How long do you think you're going to yes, 90? And then you go oh, to your current, age. current age. So 44. So it's all my, let's say I'm 45 next year, cut it in half. Oh, yeah, you're half. I'm half. I'm halfway through my life. And so you hold up. Sarah's a little bit more than half. But you hold them up. And some people in this course. half. I got more than half yeah. left. Yeah, yeah. So some people in the but course were like. some years I won't have you. Well, Aww. okay, well, I need to live to 92 then. Okay. So. There were some in the course, like 55, 60, mm -hmm. not much of the tape measure left, right? So when you hold up what's left in your life, it's like, what are you going to do with it? Right. How purposeful, how impactful, how are you going to measure it? All of those things were discussed today and how you can be self-reflective in that, mm. which is a whole nother topic. We haven't because that's you start to ask yourself am I really if I've got less than half left am I really going to live someone else's life mm. or am I going to start to live my life and am I going to start the questions start to become how what would what would it mean for me to live a great life what would have to happen in order for me to feel that and and we both did that today and I got really emotional but the thing that I wanted why I brought this up when Nat said wellness and health was there is an assumption in there with those half 
that they're going to be healthy. However, you know, if there's dementia, if there's a physical inability, so like if you have these ideas of all this grand passion that you're going to do with adventure and travel and you can't travel, you can't get travel insurance. So this is where, you know, your, your wellness and your health, especially getting out in front of it really does matter because if not, it's just an assumption that health is going to be there because if not, you might as well cut that in half again. Boom. Yeah, boom. It is boom. So it's one of our highest values, health, and so that we can continue to travel. And same with my parents who are here now looking after Jordan so that we can produce the Nat and Sarah show. And my dad is 77, right? So when he's got 12 years left. And who's to say that those 12 are going to be fully physically healthy? So that's scary. But he's traveling still. He's coming to Switzerland from Australia. We want you to have the best life for you. How can you be at your best self for the longest and and reflect on that and really think about it? And we're going to talk a little bit more, you know, in our group about the knowing and doing act because gap, sorry, the knowing and doing gap because there's things that we know about our health and then there's the things that we do about our health. And, and there's things that we know about our dream life. There's things we know about parenting and then there's the things we do about it. So, and there's a gap, and some gaps are bigger than others, and how do we shrink the gap? I'm sure you'll be doing it live on that in our Yeah, there'll be community. a shrinking. I, we don't think that you eliminate the gap. You just shrink it so that your life starts to really, to me, alignment means when knowing and doing are one, meaning you don't even have to explain. Your life is just a demonstration of those things. So we skipped a lot of pages of our notes, but we really wanted to come to you live and fresh while we're dressed up, we have makeup on. Jordan was like, what's on your face? <laughs> so that's a sign. Um, you Special know. for you. Yeah. So, so I don't know do if they, you can see my makeup. How do they get into oh, our community? I didn't do my eyebrows. How do they get in? Oh, so bit.ly, the Nat and Sarah show. Slash. The Nat and a slash. bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show. Don't be alarmed that Nat's name comes first. Like, yeah. don't let that off put you. The N becomes comes before S. But we would love to see you in the group. The participation, to me, it's all about other people who are willing to champion your dream and what you're about. Because oftentimes, people are threatened by people that are awake. So come awake and alive, and we're here to champion and support you and be refreshed by an environment that does that. I'm loving the people that are posting and sharing and redefining what it is to go for it in life. Woo, high five. See you next week. Over and out. On to the pajamas. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us 
a review. Thanks.